0: I would like to, um, to open the word and challenge our thinking a little bit from God's word. Stir up our thoughts, things that we know to be true. But um, I'm not sure if you're the same as I am. But sometimes I sit and I listen to an excellent message. And, and we can kind of compartmentalize things. We hear God's word and we, we sometimes forget to recognize or forget to think about, what does that actually mean to my life right now? It's encouraging. It's God speaking to us. But what about that application stage of it, where God's word becomes what he, sa- what he says it is? It's a living, quick, and powerful, sharp document. It's his word to us that we're to apply to our lives, and it's to change our lives. And um, anyway, so we're going to take a look at his word for a little bit this morning. And um, you'll have to bear with me. I'm at the stage where these glasses come on and off and off a lot. So I uh, can't read with them, but I can't see without them. So you know how some of you can understand. But anyways, um, so as we look at God's word, um, we're going to start with uh, 1 John chapter 3. There's verses that were already read this morning, and we'll look at those, but um, we'll spend most of our time in uh, 1 Peter after we just initially introduced this. So 1 John chapter 3, let's look to the Lord, and then we'll uh, read his word. Lord, we just thank you so much for your love and your grace, and I thank you for this group of brothers and sisters here in uh, Rhode Island. What a privilege it is for us to be here, and we trust that um, as we look at your word that the blessings that we receive from it, the challenge that we receive will be uh, appropriate for today, for the things that are going on in our lives, that we will uh, open our hearts, that you will um, yeah, speak to us, use your word in a, in a fantastic way in our lives, and Lord, we thank you, too, for the fellowship that we can enjoy, the privilege that we have of being part of your body together, and um, just want to commit this time to you and ask you to, um, to just work through us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so John chapter 3, <clears throat> um, verse 18 says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Like I said, we're going to be looking at First Peter 4, but um, as we as we think about this verse, and we'll look a little bit more at the preceding verses and some of the other ones in, in a little a few minutes here, but um, it's challenging for me because we like to look at God's Word. We like to think through things. I, I mean, I do anyways. I imagine that you are students of God's Word. And uh, actually, I can probably say with confidence, looking at you, knowing that this is a place where God's word is taught and knowing that most of you have been here for almost 20 years or more, that you must love God's word or there's no real reason to be coming here. Um, And that's a blessing. But as we look at that, the challenge is to not love with tongue, which, again, that becomes a challenge because what are we doing here? We are together as a group of believers where I'm speaking God's word, you're hearing God's word. This is a verbal presentation of God's word, and that is good. But here's the challenge: don't love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, that's the part I want to look at: is the deed and truth part more so than the love part? Because we understand that, and we will look a little bit at that. But I have a question for us, and this is something to um, to just challenge our minds with. And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is kind of a, a doesn't take any thought. It's kind of a no brainer, as we would say, but do our actions make a difference for the gospel's sake? I think we all would say easily, yeah, that's, that's an easy one. Yes, our actions do. We, we live our lives in a way that is either a good testimony or a bad testimony. We either live worthy of the vocation that we're called to walk on earth with as God's children, or we live in a way that's not worthy of that. And that's what the world sees. That's also what our other brothers and sisters see and Sometimes we're really good at seeing those things in each other's lives. We, we, we tend to pick apart. But, um, but the truth is that our actions do have an impact on those people around us. They do have an impact on the, our unbelieving neighbors, on our coworkers. And, and, and that's what I want to challenge our thinking with. If we could just flip over to, um, to 1 Peter chapter 4, primarily. But as we look at that, this thought is all through the book of Peter. I'll just cite a couple of of uh, situations. Like in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, in verse 13 to 17, we have a really clear example there. It talks about submitting ourselves to, to leaders, to rulers, to kings, governors, those that are in authority over us. But verse 15 says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And I was just reading this and thinking... Wow, that is a really interesting prospect. I'm sure you know, and we don't even—we hardly even get to follow news when we're here in this country. But we we really don't when we're in New Guinea. But we're here, and we're following all this stuff about the NFL and the football games and disrespect by kneeling, and 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 those people think they're actually doing a great thing when, in fact, it's offensive to the majority of the people. And um, you know, we see these situations going on. We see our president that we have and his response to those situations like him or, or not, uh, his response becomes a very public thing that everybody sees. And, and that's what is going on in our world. And I sit here scratch, scratching my head thinking, you know, football was a fun game when I was a kid, but somehow we leave for 20 years and we come back and look what it's become. Anyway, <laughs> that's a little tongue in cheek there. But the reality is, is that people are affected by other people's actions. A simple act of not standing up during the, during the, um, the national anthem has stirred up this country. It started with one man, evidently a couple years ago or last year or something, and it's moved into a a movement of people that are angry. And those that stand on the other side, they're angry as well. And what does that mean for us as believers? We look at that, and we see here in this passage, again, I'm not going to dig into this much, but just an example that, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Well, that's a challenge for us, because... I'm not the one that's going to stand here and say, okay, this side's foolish or that side's foolish. I have my opinions for sure. But is this not a bunch of foolishness we're seeing going on around us? And just a challenge there. Anyway, just uh, jumping over. We're going to be looking in chapter 4, but um, starting in verse 7. But in verse 4, it talks about, um, verse 1 talks about having the mind of Christ. And then it talks about those that, that don't have the mind of Christ, the things they're involved with. And that we shouldn't be a part of that. Verse 4 says, In all this, they are surprised that they being, being people of the world that are involved with things that they shouldn't be involved with. The drunkenness, the carousing, the drinking parties, these type of things. In all of this, they are surprised that you do not, do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you. Anyways, I just want to just throw that as a highlight. Like, Yes, our our actions speak volumes. The the things that we do, the way that we live our lives, it speaks volumes to those around us. God's word, it's the principle that's in here. They will look at us. We know from John, the book of John, Jesus said that they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another, right? We know those things to be true. So as we look at this, we think about this concept of loving in word, uh, not only in word, but in deed and in truth. We are to love in word as well. Graciously with the things we say. Um, but to love indeed and, and truth, there becomes a, a, a practical application to our lives of how we are to respond, what we are to do with information that we get from God's Word. And uh, so, and that's where I'd like to take a look, start with verse seven. There's some really, really simple principles here, and I and I'd like to remind us of these things because it touches on our mind, it touches on our on our hearts, our emotions, this little passage here, four verses, and it touches on our, our hands, our actions, the things that we do. And it's not me speaking, and I trust it's a challenge you can accept from God's word, but let's just look at, um, verses 7 to 11 of First Peter chapter 4. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, ...because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another... ...as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ... To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So our first point here in in verse 7, Peter has has gone through um, and he's addressing things in their lives. He's reminding them of things that they know. He's challenging them and the way that they live up to this point in the book. And then he says, the end of all things is near. And this isn't a specific passage that's dealing with uh, the end times and and what's going to happen in those end times. This is actually a reference back to chapter 3 where um, if, if you look through it from verses 18 to 22, I'm not going to read them now for sake of time, but if we look through that, it's a pretty clear presentation that Christ was, was uh, he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again. And as we take a look at this passage, the end of all things is near. The concept that we can take away from that is that it is imminent. At this time when, when Peter wrote this, there was not anything else that needed to be done. And that's that that whole idea that, that Christ's return is imminent. Can we look at the signs around us? I mean, if we, if we get too carried away with what's going on in the, the atmosphere and, and different things, um, we would have bought into something that said that we wouldn't be here after September 23rd. You are familiar with that? I understand he's actually marked another date in October, that, that man that was promoting that. But what, can you believe the following that he has? There are a lot of people that got just taken up in that whole movement. And yes, we look around and we see and we say, surely, surely this, we must be in the last days. I mean, just by based on how people are living their lives, the things that are going on, we look at that. But, I mean, is it, is it tomorrow? Is it today? Maybe it's this hour. That, wouldn't that be terrific? But it may very well be 100 years, 1,000 years. I mean, we do not know God's economy when it comes to time. Only God the Father does. He actually, when Jesus was walking on earth, he hadn't that information had not been revealed to him yet, and we see that in his word. So here we sit, and we, we're, we're on earth. We're living in this time where certainly we're at the end. It can't get much worse than this, can it? But yet it may. We, we don't know how bad it's going to get. We don't know what the timing is going to be. But we are left, as God's children, with a responsibility. Once again, the application of truth into our lives. How are we going to live? Are we going to live the gospel indeed and truth? Or are we going to live the gospel in a way that is in word only? And again, I don't want to belittle the word and the preaching of God's word, but Paul talks about it that in a way that it's through the foolishness of preaching sometimes. You know that this is just a, a little piece of the puzzle of this whole thing. Our lives, the way that we live, the way that we function is God's. Children, as a body, is a critical and important thing. So as we look at this, the end is near. There, there is nothing left. There's nothing holding back the return of Christ. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And I know as we walked in this morning, several of you were, greeted us very warmly. How are you doing? We have been praying for you. We pray for you all the time. And I cannot say thank you enough for those prayers. I know it takes effort. I know it takes time. Prayer is not easy. I don't think we would have a passage like this where it says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And with this, this concept of what, what does it take to be sober? It doesn't come naturally. We, as humans, we, we generally are not sober type people. Most of us, um, as we think of, of that, we think of sound judgment and sober. Sober is... It's just a a concept that's marked by seriousness, by self-control, by self-discipline to be sober oftentimes. And prayer does take that self-discipline. Prayer is not just something that we say, yeah, I pray for you. We thank the Lord for the food. Pray for so-and-so. They're sick. So-and-so has cancer. Those are all a, a piece and a part of what happens. But as we discipline our minds, if we really think about the concept of prayer and we discipline our minds to be involved in prayer... It's going to take effort. It's going to be hard, but it's not something that we should be flipping about. And I um, just want to refer to a few verses from 2 Thessalonians that I think give us an, a great picture uh, from Paul. And again, we could, we could flip to Galatians, we could flip to Ephesians, any one of Paul's epistles and look at his examples when he's praying and get these same principles. But um, anyways, Second Thessalonians chapter 3 um, there's a principle here relating to prayer that I'd just like to remind us of. And you've probably all heard this. Uh, I know we're, we're all familiar with John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, other writings that he did. But he made a statement that says, You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And that's a, a pretty significant statement for somebody that... He, he lived in the 1600s, so we're talking close to 400 years ago he would have made this statement and how appropriate it is for us today to really think about that because we we hear these cliches that are like well all I can do is pray or I need to do more than pray maybe you've heard that we need to put action to this thing we need to do more than pray but where do we start from we cannot do more than pray without a foundation of prayer So as we're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, just read a few verses here, starting with verse 1. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. So two principles here, not a complicated thing, but Paul was asking for prayer, first of all, that the word of the Lord would rapidly advance, that it would move ahead rapidly. So as we think about prayer, what are the things that we do pray for? We do petition God for our prayer requests, for the prayer requests of our friends and stuff like that. And we shouldn't ever stop doing that. Please don't take away from this that, that I'm... I'm saying that that's not an appropriate or a uh, necessary thing that we do. But as we think about where we're at in this world, what what is going on, what is absent in our daily walk as we look around at our country here, the word of God is not advancing rapidly. I think we can say that with confidence. As we look around, there are little pockets where it is. There's pockets where it's being studied. But as we think about it, can can you think of of examples or, or generally speaking that where it is advancing rapidly. I'm challenged to, to think of examples where where it really is, but not that it, that God's carrying out of his will and his plan is dependent on my prayers, but he desires that. It's a foundation that we can build upon. So I just want to present that as a challenge, that as, as you pray, think about that. That's the first thing that he asks for prayer for. The second one is an interesting one, that we will be rescued in, from Perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Again, not, not to uh, elevate our political situation in this country or the, the social status of a lot of people, social media and the way that things are being presented, but I have, I have not lived in a time in my years on earth here where it has been more true that men call wrong right and right wrong, that men are taking... Things that traditional understanding of even just words that we know. We know the meanings of these words. We have dictionaries that establish this stuff. And they're changing the meaning of words. They're making it mean something that's often very base and, and not, it, it's not the, the meaning of the word. And, and it's for the purpose often of satisfying their flesh, of gratifying the flesh. And that's the that's civilization. That's the society that we live in. And I'm challenged by that. I don't very often pray for deliverance and to be rescued from perverse and evil men. Even though these people exist, they do. And, and we may not personally have, have faced some of the persecution, but there is more and more persecution for those that are speaking truth that's happening. I think the day, if the Lord tarries, the day is coming when we will face, all of us individually, if we're going to be faithful to God's word, and we are going to shine his lights, and we're going to put this into practice in deed and in truth, that we will face that persecution. That day is coming that the Lord tarries that long, and we're still here. Um, but that was one of Paul's, Paul had the, the option here to, to lay out a lot of requests. He could have written whatever, you know, the Holy Spirit was leading him to write, and he could have filled in a lot more, but he chose for those two things. And I think it's, it's uh, as we look at this, we look at other passages, like I mentioned in Ephesians uh, chapter one, his prayer there in Galatians chapter 4, his prayer. His, when he lays out these prayers, he often puts the same principles in there. But it's for a purpose. It's for the growth that happens within the lives of the people that he's, that he's addressing. Like with the Galatians, it's that, that God's word would take root, that they would be mature, that they would grow from that type of stuff. So that God's word would advance quickly, that they would be delivered from evil people for a purpose for growth in their lives, that, that they would be more and more rooted into the truths of, of who they are in God and who they are in Christ and who they, the truths that are based from God's word. So I just want to challenge, challenge you as you think about this. Okay, we're back over to 1 Peter chapter 4. So that was point number one, prayer. Sober, uh, that we would be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Verse 8 says, Above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And just a few things about that. Fervency is, is with great intensi- intensity, an intentional type of a, of a uh, activity. You're, you're not fervent about something that you're not determined and, and purposeful to accomplish. So very intentional. And that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, be intentional. Be intentional in your childbearing. Be intentional in your... Uh, in your outreach to others, be intentional in your education, whatever, that you're setting a goal and being intentional to work towards that. We don't really think about that in that realm of being fervent and intentional in our love for one another, do we? Often. Some of us do. Uh, and I say us corporately. This is a challenge that, that I was applying to my own life and, and realizing that there are opportunities where I do need to be more intentional to make this happen. And... Um, It's easy for us. We have a a, down in South Carolina. The the lady next door is a widow, and it's easy when we notice that she has something to lift, or you know, something. It's easy to go over there and do those type of things. And yeah, we're extending love to her, and we're a testimony to her through those things. But am I am I purposing? Am I intentional in my love for others? And this is talking about outside of the body of faith as well as inside of the body of faith. Just a challenge. I'll leave it at that um, because I think. You know, if if we really think that through, oftentimes we're just catching the little opportunities as they happen to float our way, and it's convenient for us. But uh, Peter is writing here, says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Again, these are things that get twisted around. There are those that believe that, uh, you know, that this love that we extend to each other, that we can actually forgive sins. There are those that say, well, love covers a multitude of sins, so we turn our back and we ignore the sin. That's not what Peter's talking about here. He's addressing a situation here that our love for one another, our fervent love for one another, it enables us, and it gives us that platform and that ability, I believe, to exercise things in deed and in truth. We're willing to, because we love covers a multitude of sins, we're willing to work through the difficult situations to address those sins, to forgive those sins, I mean, not, not... you know, in a way that we can move on and we can we can continue on in life together. Forgive the th- the wrongs that other people do against us. So this gives us the the platform that we can work with, um, and it's a fervent love for one another. Challenging. Okay. Verse nine says, "Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God." And this is where the hands come into this thing. We, we saw that the mind, the being sober-minded, challenging our minds to be disciplined in prayer. With the emotions, our love for one another, our relationships, and our practical, the out, practical outworking steps in as we think about being hospitable without complaint, serving one another. There's a practical application here of what do we do with our hands? How do we serve one another? And there are opportunities. I know you, you folks do serve one another. But as we look at these things and we think, we're in a growth process. Do I want to serve the same way that I served last year when I wake up at the beginning of next year? No, we want to grow in our service for one another. We want to grow in our ability to fervently love one another. We want to grow in our ability to be sober-minded, to have disciplined prayer, where we are, we're concentrating on what we're doing. We're being intentional in this process. And so as we think about the service uh, to one another, um, that word employ, employed in serving one another right in the middle of verse 10, it's an interesting word because we think of employers as this is somebody we go, they're the employer, I'm the employee. But uh, a definition of that is, is kind of interesting because it means to keep busy, to make use of. And as I was thinking of that, I thought, boy, if I was an employer and I had a new guy come in wanting a job, I'd say, okay, let's look at this definition here first. So if you come and work for me, I get to keep you busy. I get to to use you for the purposes that, that I want. And in essence, a good employer will keep people busy, not in an authoritative type of way, but in an effective type of way. And a good employee will recognize that I am to be busy because this man has employed me. But we are the point for us is that we are to use these gifts that have been given to us, and we are to employ them. We are to keep busy with those gifts. So, what does that mean? What does that mean in a practical way? All kinds of application of this. Um, as, as we, if we were to dig in and think through very specific gifts, but Peter does it for us and he kind of highlights it in two different categories. It's in verse 11, it says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that last part of that verse, that's actually what's at stake here when we really think about this. Why why are these things important? That's what is at stake. But he first says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who's who's, uh, speaking um, the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Foundational thing there that this is what God supplies. These are gifts that God has given. These are gifts of the Spirit, things that the Holy Spirit has has given to us as his believers, and everybody has a, an area of endowment, but that we serve, that we employ these things. We're busy with the gifts that God has given us as though they come from God, which they do come from God. And um, yeah, just very, very quickly, um, if we were to look over into Galatians chapter 2, uh, Verse 20 is that's that was actually my dad's life verse. He quoted it often as as I was growing up. And um, I have a number, I haven't honed it down to just one life verse, but that is one of the ones that jumps into my mind when I think about you know, what is one of my, my favorite verses that really encapsulates where I'm at? And it's that whole concept that we have been crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, we live. We live in the life that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. And that's what it's talking about here. As we talk about uh, loving others in deed and in truth, it can very, very quickly move into this thing, I need to do more, I need to pray more. That's, That's true, Bill, what you said is true. I need to get up, I usually get up at six, I'm gonna get up at 5.45 and put in a good 15 minutes first and then I'll start my day. We can try harder, we can work harder. And um, again, that, that passage in Galatians, if you look before verse 20, it, it talks about it's not by law, it's by faith. If we apply these things in a legalistic way, as, as though it's some law, as though we, we look at these things, yes, I need to love more, more fervently. I'm going to try harder. I need to pray more sober-mindedly. I need to be more disciplined in prayer. I need to love, I need to serve in a way that is... Uh, more effective, I need to serve more, serve others more, I need to do more, I need to do these things. We will qu- very quickly find ourselves spinning into a, a very law-based, legalistic, I'm just trying harder. But that's not what he's talking about here. It's, Jesus Christ is all through this thing. If we look again at, at Paul's writings, at Peter's writings, it is that life that we live by the faith of the Son of God. Who? It's not our life. We're dead. But the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That is the empowering aspect. And so just as a reminder that we don't do these things. We don't decide all of a sudden, I'm going to pray more effectively. No, we say, by God's grace, please, God, help me in these areas. Help us to grow. Help us to serve in a way that we shine as a light. So that, like Jesus told his disciples, that they would know, the world would know that they were Jesus' disciples by their love for one another. It's very true here. The the world will be stunned, they'll be surprised if we don't get involved in the same kind of activities and uh yeah, excesses of dissipation, as it say, as they malign you. That I mean they'll as we they're surprised that we're not involved with these same type of things that they're involved with. We look over and we look at, at kings and rulers and, and leaders and and what are we to do? Are we supposed to stand on our soapbox and yell louder? No, we actually humbly submit, and by this, by this, they will know. It's a public example. So the way, anyway, those are just a few examples, but as we, we ponder this, um, I want to close and transition, but I just want to just read this last part of uh, 1 Peter 4.11 again. It says, all of these things, these, these aspects of um, that Peter's saying, uh, keep fervent, be hospitable serve, employed in serving, it is this. It says, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the bottom line. If we work harder, if we do these things, but yet it's not based on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that, who, where's the glorification? Who's getting glorified? Who is being honored in those types of things? And, and Peter goes on to talk about having uh, God giving grace to the humble and he's and, um, opposed to the proud in chapter 5 of First Peter. He, he goes on to present that, but that is what's at stake here. The way that we live our lives, the way that we conduct ourselves, whether we, we recognize, God, you have these things for us to be involved with. If, we, if you don't employ the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you don't get busy about what God is doing, what is it that, that falters? It's this idea that God is being glorified in our lives. If we do things in a way where it, you know, all the effort, all the effort, all the effort. Oh, woe is me! I have to go to this. I have to do that. You know, we understand that. We 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 get caught up in that. What is it that's at stake? It's God's glory that's at stake, because He has put us here and He's given us a purpose to walk circumspectly, to walk humbly before Him, and to engage and be busy engaging with the. The gifts that he has given us, um, you know, the, the spiritual gifts that he has given us. So I just want to challenge our minds with that. Trust it is um, something that, as you think about, yes, the proclamation of the gospel, we want to keep that moving ahead, but there's also the demonstration of the gospel that we have as well, and the, the twofold opportunity that we have to live as lights in the world today.